Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter what time you may be listening to what is day number 50, yes, 50 of our daily devotional podcast here at Eden Chapel. I'm Sam Mitchell, and I'm very excited to be continuing in our daily reading in chapters 18 through 20 of Numbers. And we have a lot of reading here today, and we get to see the duties of the priests and of the Levites, uh, who was Aaron's tribe. And we also get to see these laws for purification. Uh, We get Moses striking a rock and water coming forth. It's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, But we get all these different stories, and I'm going to try really, really hard to not go 20 minutes like mine has been lately. So in the spirit of doing that, let's get into it. So in chapter 18, we get these duties left to Aaron and to uh, the tribe of Levi as priests to God. And so we see it starts off, it says, So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear iniquity connected with the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear iniquity connected with your priesthood. And it says, And with you bring your brothers also the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may join you and minister to you while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. And so we see right off the bat, God is instructing Aaron that, uh, yes, you and your sons are the priests, but I want your father's house, the tribe of Levi, to come alongside of you and to minister to you, to be with you in all the work that you're doing. But he also gives us uh, a very big piece, it says, that they will bear the iniquity connected with the priesthood and uh, with the sanctuary. And so we see here that Aaron and his sons and the tribe of Levi are all, to a big extent here, saying they will be accountable to God. I mean, we all are, but in a sense of they will bear the iniquity for them. And so uh, we, we see that with this authority that is coming with it also comes uh, great accountability. I feel like I'm about to quote Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> but God isn't going to just give out authority to people without the accountability that comes with it. I mean, this is why we get the warning in scripture uh, to those who are pastors, to those who are shepherds, especially to those who would lead people astray. We we see what happens to them because yes, if you are given authority, you are held accountable before God the two always go together. Uh, God expects others to submit to them in this order. God has a special accountability for the person they are submitting to. And so that's what we see here in chapter 18. We get all these things laid out uh, for Aaron and for the Levites and how they will come alongside of him and be joined with him and help serve alongside of him. But then we also get within this uh, these beautiful Uh, ways of God telling us how to worship him and uh, in the different offerings like we've mentioned before. But then we get to uh, a section of scripture talking about that they will have no inheritance, the tribe of Levi, in the land. Uh, The priests won't have any inheritance in the land itself like the others would. And while they had the right to receive much, they, they... we're not going to be given a permanent portion of the land given them because God here says 
in just beautiful words that he is their portion and their inheritance. And we can think of much of what David writes in uh, in Psalms, uh, the Lord is my portion. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. Psalm 16, Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart fell, but God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 142, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. We can even look to 1 Peter 2, 9 and see that since we are this royal priesthood, that we are being called to this marvelous light, that God is our portion. He is our inheritance and our hope. He's our trust for everything that is coming to us in the future and that we are truly satisfied in him. We have our portion in the Lord. And so we see him say this, you won't have inheritance in the land because I am your portion and I am your inheritance. I am your God. But we see also in this how God takes care of them. Uh, He commands the people in our reading to give a tithe that ends up being given to the Levites. And so this tithe is given to the Lord. Um, This 10% of one's income is going to be given to the Lord, but in turn, God is giving this to the Levites for their support and the ministry that is going to towards him. And so uh, it's a beautiful thing of giving and supporting alongside of those who are ministering. And it's what we see today. And it's what we do today. It's why we believe in in giving and helping uh, to our church leaders. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing. We won't get into all the tithing and all that right now. Uh, I'll let Pastor Aaron do that uh, attempt at a joke. All right. Uh, but we, we see it all throughout scripture in Luke 11 and Hebrews 7 and 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 9. We get mentions of why we come along the gospel ministry and support and tithe and help. Uh, but that, that putting that trust in the Lord that he will provide for them. And so uh, that's, that's what we get here uh, to end our time in chapter 18th. What, what this tide's going to, what is the point of it? Um, we see that of all the gifts that we offer up, each have an offering due to the Lord. And so this idea of we're, we're giving something to God. And so uh, that's how we kind of end time in chapter 18. Then we get into chapter 19, and we get all these laws for purification, which we've seen before, but we get mentioned once again of what happens when the touching of the dead body, or you've been around a dead body, and what it is to become ceremonial clean, and uh, getting into all that. And so, but here at the beginning of chapter 19, we, we get mention of of this red heifer, which it's... <laughs> Uh, you know, I know some people use that as an insult nowadays, but uh, what this would be at this time, or the literal definition, not what it would be, what it is, is a female cow who has not been impregnated. And so it says in verse 19, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer without defect in which there is no blemish, and on which a yoke has never come. And so uh, we get this beautiful representation of the gospel of what we look for in a sacrifice that would be right before God. And that uh, here is represented in a red heifer that they would bring out this, which, you know, red would signify something that would be very, very rare. And it's very, very beautiful picture to resemble blood here. 
Um, and that says without blemish, where there's no defect and on which a yoke has never come. So the requirements made to this particular animal are even rarer. This is uh, supposed to be rare and pure and valuable. And so we get into these very, very precise instructions of everything that they must do to this red heifer. And it wasn't, it would be sacrificed in the customary fashion with a bit of blood being sprinkled on the altar, yet the complete carcass of the animal was burnt and the ashes gathered by ones observing the cleansing ceremonies before and after. And so it's much more intricate, even more than what we've read, which is very intricate. And so its blood shall be burned. Unlike every other sacrifice in the Old Testament, the blood of the red heifer is burnt along with the sacrifice instead of being completely drained out. Blood was to be part of the ashes that would come forth from the burning of the carcass. And so we see even the mention of the priest shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire that would be burning. And so we we see that these items uh, usually were used in the cleansing ceremony for a leper. And so uh, the hyssop was not only used with the cleansing ceremony for lepers, but it's also what Jesus is offered to drink from a hyssop branch on the cross in John 19. And so we see again this beautiful picture to the gospel, but also scarlet, the color of blood, pictures the cleansing blood of Jesus on the cross. You know, scarlet is what's used in the veil and the curtains of the tabernacle. It's on the garments of the high priest. It's on the covering of the table, the showbread. It's uh, the color of the mocking king's robe that's put on Jesus at his torture by the soldiers. And so we, we see all these really just awesome points to Jesus in this, but we see all these crazy details that uh, the priests of Israel would have to do. And so, like I said, after that, in the rest of chapter 19, we get all these um, things for how you would be unclean from either touching a dead body or, you know, someone dies in the tent that you were in. And so, but we get all these details where God is commanding us on how to be made right of what to do to be able to come back into the camp and how to be able to be called clean. And so then we get into chapter 20 and we see it begin with the death of Miriam. Verse one, and the whole people of Israel, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zim in the first month and the people stayed in Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. And so we see Israel has made their way back to Kadesh. And this is the place where the spies brought back the report to Israel and brought back the fruit uh, in Numbers chapter 13. And we saw the people go against uh, what was good for them. They decided not to go into the land that God had given them. We saw what this produced. Uh, In chapter 14, we saw that That generation that refused to enter Canaan would die in the wilderness, and the new generation would enter instead. That's what Numbers 14, verse 29 through 34 begin to tell us. And so we see Miriam's death here as part of a fulfillment of that promise, that that she was part of that generation that would not get to enter the land of Canaan. And so 
we see that there were no special exceptions for this. The, it wasn't like Moses and his family gets to get in. And so Miriam and Aaron and Moses himself would not get to see the promised land, but God said only Joshua and Caleb would in Numbers 14. And so this is proof that God is faithful to every promise, that he will do what he says he will do. And so we get into the next verses, and Israel does something that we know they're pretty guilty of doing often. You know, Verse 2, Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And so we see they're, they're mad about water, which, okay, it's a need. We need that to be able to live, and we need that to be able to uh, do anything. And so we see right here, sorry, I just got an email. And so we see right here that in this verse that they're upset and they are filled with unbelief. It's not like, Hey God, we've seen you do it before. We know you can do it again. Can you do this for us? But no, they assemble themselves against their leaders and Moses and Aaron. And it says they quarreled with them and they go back and you know, why have you brought us to this land? Why have you done this to us? Like, we're going to die here. Our cattle's going to die here. This is not no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. Why did you even take us out of Egypt? And so it's this argument with them. And so this leads them to these outrageous accusations that even this new generation accuses Moses, just like the generation of unbelief did. And so what do Moses and Aaron do? Well, it says they went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and they fell on their faces and that the glory of the Lord appeared before them. They realized how serious this was and that this new generation would be just as believing and as untrusting God as the old generation was and they would likewise perish in the wilderness. So what does God say to do? He says, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give them drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord and he did as he commanded him. And so we see here God say, well, even in the midst of they should be trusting him, I will still provide for them, which what an amazing thing that God will do that for us. But now he was, uh, just like God told Moses to strike the water and come forth as in Exodus seventeen six. but now he was merely just to speak to this rock, uh, yet with the rod in his hand. This rod was a symbol of his authority from God. And so what does Moses do? We see him go out and do exactly that. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank in their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given to them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. And through them, he showed himself holy. And so, like we see Moses come out and he says, do you want water from this rock? And what does he do? He brings them water. But we get to what God says, because you did not believe me. So the sinful attitude and action that was rooted in unbelief, that he didn't really believe God when the Lord told him to speak to the rock and not to strike it. You know, Moses did what he did back in Exodus. He He says, because of this, that you did not uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given to them. And so we see Moses, the job that he had started, would not lead Israel into the promised land. 
that which he probably dreamt of and felt called to go do because he had been leading God's people uh, to deliver God's people would not be completed here. Another person would finish this job. And so um, we see just the great actions of not doing of exactly what God called you to do. I love what David Gazik says about Moses deciding to hit the rock again rather than just speak to it like God had called him. He says, worst of all, Moses defaced a beautiful picture of Jesus' redemptive work through the rock which provided water in the wilderness. The New Testament makes it clear this water-providing, life-giving rock was a picture of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 10. Jesus being struck once provided life for all who would drink of him, but it was unnecessary and unrighteousness that unrighteous that Jesus would be struck again, much less again twice, because the Son of God needed only to suffer once. Jesus can now become be come to with words of faith, as Moses should have only used words of faith to bring life-giving water to the nation of Israel. And so we, we see what a beautiful picture of this could have been to Christ's redemptive work, but rather that Moses chose to not trust what God had told him completely to do. And so we see next that Israel tries to uh, go along this certain route uh, into the territory through the king's highway, but it is is not allowed that the king of Edom instead meets them with an army and uh, doesn't allow them to continue to travel on, you know, God not allowing them to do what they said they do. And so we see Israel ends up turning away from him. And then finally, to end this chapter, we, we see the death of Aaron and the passing on of his priesthood to his son. And so, uh, I know I'm way over time, and I'm very sorry. But we see here in Aaron's death uh, just how much God prepared them for it. Uh, you know, they're warned about that it's coming, but how this also prepares for the duties of priesthood to be passed down to his son very easily. And God gave them special warning. So this smooth and good transition could be made. And, you know, the man dies, but the priesthood and the access and the relationship with God, it describes, carries on. It wasn't just Aaron that could do it, but it was, you know, the person who God has chosen. No one's relationship with God in Israel was to depend on Aaron, but was to on the high priest, whomever he was. God had ensured that there will always be a high priest for us to come in Jesus. And we need not depend on any man for our relationship with God. And so that's how we end our time with the death of Aaron and the passing on of this priesthood. Thank you so much. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. And what an awesome time it has been reading through God's word together. 